Today we're blessed to hear in our gospel passage three of the most rich parables that Jesus told in his entire ministry. There's some of the three parables that we always recall in relation to how God works with humanity, how God works with us, and one of which Cardinal, excuse me, Pope Benedict has said is the most beautiful parable ever written, and that's the parable of the prodigal son. The thing is about these parables is they're constantly used, and I think we constantly have heard many, many homilies about them. So I want to kind of focus on a little bit more of the context of these, of these parables and how the context of these parables actually provide a deeper meaning to why Jesus said what he said. To begin, let's look at exactly what, 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 who Jesus is talking to. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he addressed, so to them, the Pharisees, he addressed this parable. This parable is not meant for the average Joe. These parables are meant specifically to the righteous Jews that have followed every single letter of the law. The ones who really are very jealous of Jesus and don't like Jesus, but the ones who ultimately feel like they have accomplished salvation on their own. And what does Jesus say? He leads with this first parable. What man among you would not leave the 99 to go save the one? This kind of ridiculous idea that a shepherd would leave his sheep and go find the one lost sheep. That one sheep. And the early church fathers point out and explain that what this is, is, huma- is, is, is the incarnation. Here we are, we have the 99, that's the, the angels and the saints in heaven. They're already saved. And Jesus Christ, God, becomes man, empties himself, lowers himself, and goes into the ugly journey of humanity. And what to do to find that one lost sheep? The lost sheep known as humanity. And to kind of reiterate what exactly God is trying to do, he then tells another parable. He says, this woman had ten coins and lost one, and so she swept the house. She looked all over for it, and what does she do? Whenever she finds it, she spins it. She throws a party in celebration of the fact that she has that coin. What Jesus is pointing out is that God is here for the purpose of rescuing humanity And searching humanity out. He's not a passive God. He's an active God. And what he's showing us ultimately, especially with these two parables, is that God's love is absolutely, totally, 100% crazy. Crazy. No human being would do any of this stuff. No human being would honestly leave their livelihoods to just go find one stinking sheep. No, no human being would just search all over their house to find a coin just suspended in celebration. This is all craziness, but that's what God is willing to do for us. That's God's love, guys. It makes no sense, but that's what's going on. And that's how the Pharisees are seeing it. They don't, see, they don't get Jesus. Jesus doesn't make any sense. But what he's trying to point out is that, look, 
The Lord is in love with us, and He wants the best for us, and He'll do anything for us. The problem, and the only reason why the whole world isn't redeemed, isn't because of Him. It's because of us. And then He begins to tell this story. Now, it's a story that you and I often may have heard. It's called the prodigal son. But I'm here to tell you, and this is the words of Pope Benedict, this is not my words, that's a bad name. It's a terrible name. Because there's so many more characters involved besides the prodigal son. The first, character, the first idea that Pope Benedict throws out that it should be named, that the early church fathers named it, was the parable of the good father. Because who's the protagonist of the story? It's the father. The father is the one who just personifies God's crazy love by giving his, his, his youngest son half of his inheritance. The father is the one who just, who just throws a monkey wrench into everything and runs after his, his, his pig-smelling son whenever he's on his way back. The father is the one who does something just wild and leaves the party that he's throwing just to talk to his pouty, pouty older eldest son. The parable of the good father. But there's another title that, that Benedict gives, and I think it's even more accurate. And it's the parable of the two brothers. And the reason why it's so accurate is because the theme of two brothers reappears over and over and over and over again in Scripture. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. You have a younger brother who offers a sacrifice. The eldest brother gets jealous and angry and kills the younger brother. We all know the story of Ishmael and Isaac. See, Abraham, he was supposed to have a a child, couldn't have one, had one with his mistress. And then, you know, his name is Ishmael. Ishmael was apparently a bad guy or whatever, like wasn't a a good boy. And and Abraham's wife, Sarah, gets mad and banishes Ishmael. And they have a son named Isaac. So the eldest son gets, gets banished while the younger son is taken care of. Fast forward even more. Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob allegedly was born holding Esau's ankle. Never wanted to let go. Jacob, man, Jacob was something else. So Jacob, you know, holding his, and what does Jacob do? The younger son, he cons Esau into giving away his inheritance for a bucket of beans. Simple as that. And so basically, the moral of the story, after hearing all these issues... Is that, you know, after hearing all these, all these stories of the two sons, is that if you're an eldest son in the scripture, you're in a deep trouble. And it's scary because I'm, I'm the oldest too, so I'm, I pray for me guys. So, Point being though, is that what does Jesus do? He tells a story to the Pharisees who know all about the scriptures of two brothers. And what two brothers we have. We have these, this first brother, the youngest brother, the first brother that kind of appears on scene, is the Gentiles. That's the connection. He's making, he's making he says that he's basically in a sense saying that the, this first brother is the Gentiles, the elder brother is the Jews. And these Gentiles, the problem with them is that they've turned from God early on from the beginning. They asked for their inheritance and they left. And what happened? They indulged in the sins of the flesh. Gluttony, lust, and greed. Gluttony, lust, and greed. The three things 
that this younger son has indulged in whenever he departed from his father. Gluttony, lust, greed, sins of the flesh. And what happens? He goes like with all sins of the flesh. He has a blast doing it for like a weekend. And then he comes crashing down. Empty, destitute, weak. Working with the pigs. Now remember, this is a Jewish context. So if he's working with the pigs, that basically means that he's renounced everything that he has. Renounced his faith to work with an unclean animal. He's not supposed to be around pigs. Pigs are, pigs are not okay. But that's where he is, because that's the status. But not only is he working with the pigs, but he longs to eat of the pods of the swine. I did not realize what this meant until about four days ago. Or maybe five days ago. So we have, my family, um, we have a deer lease. Got it two years ago. It was a great deer. It's, it's been great. It's been really good to us. The problem is we now have hogs on our deer lease. I don't know if y'all, y'all know the problem of hogs, but they reproduce worse than rabbits, and they're just all over the place. They're tearing apart the land. It's awful. All right, anyway. So we have this hog problem, and I, you know, the good crusader that I am, wanted to go and deal with the hog problem. So I do what every good millennial does whenever he has a problem, and I go look up you a bunch of YouTube videos about hogs and how to deal with hogs. And what I found was the best way to combat hogs is to form a trap. So I get all the other materials for a trap, and, and you know what every trap needs is bait. So this does apply to the homily, don't worry. So the bait, apparently, the best bait whenever it comes to trapping hogs is consistent of three components. Corn, Kool-Aid, and water. That's it. Corn, Kool-Aid, and water. You put all that in a bucket, cast the bucket off, put it in the heat for five days, and then you have a recipe for hogs. Delicious. The reason why this makes such great hog bait, though, actually, I, let me just back up real quick. I tried, I, at first I put that together thinking, actually, that might not seem too bad. You know, I mean, Kool-Aid and corn, I mean, I've heard of worse, you know, combinations in my life. It's bad, guys. <laughs> don't, don't try it. So the reason why, though, that, that it's such a great hog bait is because no other animal in the wilderness will eat it. Coons don't like it. Rabbits don't like it. Deer don't like it. But hogs love it. And here you are with a man desiring to eat the same stuff that hogs are desiring to eat. Essentially Kool-Aid, corn, and water. That's been roasting in the sun for five days. But that's how desperate this guy is. And that's exactly what lust does to people. Lust transforms us. Lust, gluttony, and greed just transform us into a monster that we don't, to the point where we don't even recognize ourselves, to the point where we're just clawing for tiny little pleasures that to the the honest, modern eye, if you look at this, recognize that this is disgusting. This is wrong. This is horrible. But that's what the, the, the sins of the flesh do. They destroy our minds to the point where we're longing for trash. And that's exactly what this guy's experiencing in longing for the pods of the pigs. But by the grace of God, he comes to. 
And he recognizes that this is not good for him and that his father's servants are treated better. So what does he do? He goes to the father. He's ready to repent. He's ready to be a servant, not even be a son anymore. Goes and says, I'm unworthy. And what happens? The father, like we said earlier, crazy love, gives him the robe, gives him the sandals, gives him the ring, restores him to his sonship. The Gentiles, sins of the flesh. Very clear, very easily to see been done. And because of that, he repented. But then comes the bad part. The eldest brother, seeing the fatted calf slaughtered, seeing his family having a good time, what does he do? He goes over and he is angry. What happens? He goes, he became, he becomes angry, refuses to enter the house to the point where his father comes out and pleads with him. That's something I would never do under any circumstances. I'd just let him go pout outside and he'd get over it himself. But this is Jesus. He's a lot nicer than I am. But what does he say? He says he, he, the father shows up. And before, look, I mean, daddy shows up. You don't talk. You let him do the talking. But not, not with this case. What happens? He shows up and then he immediately protests. And look at what this guy says. Look, all these years I served you. And not once did I disobey your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. Now it's subtle, but it's very clear he no longer sees his father as father. He sees him as master. I serve you, your orders, young goat to feast on with my friends. So not only does he see him as master, He sees him as somebody he doesn't want to spend any time with. He doesn't want a young goat to feast on with his father. He doesn't want a fatted calf to enjoy with his family. He wants to go somewhere else. In fact, I'd love to know. I bet you on a normal basis they have fatted calves that he doesn't enjoy with his family, but he wants to go elsewhere. This is a very, very, very interesting point. It's something that I think we often overlook. What this man is going through, what this man is committing is not sins of the flesh. It's sins of the spirit. Pride, anger, envy. These things are sins of the spirit. And what makes these things so insidious is that they're hard to detect. It's pretty easy to realize how messed up you are whenever you're sticking your your head in a trough full of of, of pig pods, Kool-Aid, corn, and water. It's not that easy To pick up that you're wrong whenever you have not disobeyed a single order that's been given to you. But how often does that happen to us? We look like the good church going crew. We come to mass. We pray. We're as kind as can be. And yet, we can be closer to hell than a prostitute because of the sins of the spirit that we may have committed. Even even saints, he's not saint. Even C.S. Lewis has said... That, the, that unchastity is not the worst of sins. Every Christian knows this. Look at Dante's Inferno. Yes, you can be damned for eternity in views of unchastity, but it's the lightest ring of hell. The further and further you get deeper into hell, the more and more spiritual the sins become, become down to the very center, and that's the, that's the very center, and the sinners there is, are Judas there because of betrayal. Betrayal. It's truly spiritual sin. Point being, though, is that that's what this guy's committing. He's committing the subtle spiritual sin, the same spiritual sin that, guess what? 
the Pharisees are committing. Looking at God as lawgiver. Looking at God as master, not looking at God as father. Not looking at God as father. And because of that, they don't want to spend time with the Lord. And how often does that happen to us? This past Sunday, we had a priest from Nigeria come in. And he gave a mission, he gave a little mission to the 10 a.m. mass and the 4 p.m. mass. And I was talking with him in the rectory Friday night. And we were just kind of, we kind of just, I was wondering a little bit about the culture in Nigeria and, the, and just kind of how the faith was going. And one of the things that he pointed out is that Nigeria is poor. No surprise there. But Nigeria is very, very poor. And because of that, because of that poverty, they work all the time. But whenever they go to mass, They are in heaven. They don't want to leave. They want to stay in the liturgy for as long as possible. That's why you'll hear, which is, I'm green with envy, you'll hear these Nigerians have these three plus hour long masses. Because they're singing, they're dancing, they're processing. They are having a blast all around the Eucharistic sacrifice. They are just living life. Why? Because they see God not as master, but as father. Contrast that with us. How often do we come to mass and we're like, oh man, father's preaching a long homily, which yes, I am. I'm aware. I'm 17 minutes in. I apologize. All right. I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying up as fast as I can, but I like this subject. So y'all are in trouble. Anyway, so so, you know, like, and we're just like, man, when is this going to get over with? And, you know, we go past an hour and everybody gets mad and, you know, people are starting walking out and like, you know, in the middle of the Eucharist and leaving in this and the other. Why? So we don't want to spend time with dad. We want to go do our own thing. We're going to watch the saints. We want to go drink a cold one. We want to go, you know, I don't know, whatever y'all do after you have the 9 p.m. mass, go bowling or something like that. Point being is we don't want to be here. We want to be somewhere else. And that is a typical characteristic of an older brother. We're too busy, wrapped up in ourselves to experience real joy here in the church. Real joy here in Christ. And so my encouragement to you guys is to don't be like the Pharisees. Pharisees are doing fine in in one sense. They're following the law. That's a good thing. And you know what? I want to commend you guys. You guys are following the law. Y'all are here. It's 9 p.m. It's a little late. But hey, you're here. It's great. And we're glad to see that. It's a beautiful, awesome thing. But the fact of the matter is, is there's another dimension to this. To just follow the law, but to be filled with with spiritual sin, the sins of pride, envy, vanity, these things, ain't going to bode well. It's just going to make us be like this, this eldest son. This eldest son who doesn't love his father at all. And so my encouragement to you guys is be more like the younger son. And recognize that God, that God the Father is here for you. That God the Father forgives you. That God the Father is crazy in love with you. And will give you a robe, give you a ring, and slaughter a fatted calf just for your repentance. Amen.